Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. Now on today's episode, we are going to be talking about startup recruiting for MBAs. And this is a topic that we've covered once before on the podcast. That was on episode number 83, where our guest was Jessica Brody, Director of Talent Acquisition at Crunchbase. So do check it out if you haven't heard that episode already. But on today's episode, our guest is Nimit Maru. And Nimit is the co-founder of a startup called Fullstack Academy that trains people in software development. Since the company was started in 2012, the company has been doing really well. They've trained many people. They're close to 50 employees now, and they're backed by Y Combinator, one of the most well-known and well-regarded startup incubators here in Silicon Valley. Nimit, in terms of his educational background, has a bachelor's in computer science from University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and an MBA from the Wharton School. On today's episode, Nimit is going to be sharing with us his perspective on startup recruiting for MBAs. So I hope you find the discussion helpful. And with that, let's welcome Nimit. Nimit, hello. Hey, hey, how are you, Sonali? Hey, I'm good. Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm really excited to have you on. Yeah, I'm happy to be on. Thank you for inviting me. No, absolutely. And it's really good to have you on for this topic in particular, because you have started your own company and you have an MBA. Actually, it'll be helpful if you can give us a quick snapshot of your career path so far. Okay, yeah, sure. So my college education was in computer science and electrical engineering. And actually, even before that, when I was in high school and in middle school, I was always a bit of a computer geek and I you know I, I actually started programming when I was very young in middle school and so so I, I went to college for that and then after graduating I worked at a couple of companies so I worked at a healthcare so- software company for a few I think right under a year Cerner um, and then I worked at Yahoo for about three years in the Bay Area where I where I, I got to work on um, the Yahoo travel and Yahoo Maps mm-hmm. teams so that was till about 2008 then I Left, uh, I left Yahoo in about 2008 to go down the entrepreneurial path, and I started a, a Facebook games company. Um, at the time, the, the, the Facebook platform had just come out, and uh, if I remember right, Facebook only had about 20 million users, which today just seems like a drop in the bucket. But this is when the, the platform came out, and so my company was one of the early companies that launched in that space. At the peak, we had somewhere around 6 or 7 million active users. Which was a, a a good amount, yeah. Out of you know the the twenty to thirty million that we're on, <laughs> yeah. And and then after that, I uh, the whole stock market crash happened, and I started another company called Bloomspot, which was more focused towards giving people discounts on retail and was really competing with Groupon, Living Social, in, in that space. That company eventually got sold to Chase J P Morgan, and uh, and then I went to get my MBA at uh, at Wharton, where uh, where I met Sonali, mm-hmm. of course. And yeah, and then you know after graduating from Wharton is um, is kind of the introduction that Sonali gave so far is um, my co-founder David and I, who I've actually known all the way um, back since uh, undergrad uh, at University of Illinois. So we started Full Stack Academy in uh, in 2012 by uh, going through. Y Combinator, and then um, yeah, and then 
five years later, uh, here we are. We are uh, we teach software engineering. We're based in New York and Chicago, and also have a growing online campus. And yeah, I I, I hope that that wasn't too long, but I tried to be. <laughs> I try to touch all the points. Yeah. No, this is very, very helpful. And it gives a very good illustration of the fact that, A, you've been very active in startups from a very young age. And of course, now you're doing full stack. So it'll be helpful to get your perspective from the point of view of what does a startup look for when recruiting and in this context specifically for MBA. So, you know, one of the first things that I want to ask you is that let's say I'm an MBA, either a current student or let's say I graduated a few years ago. And I, I want to get into startups, but, you know, there are startups with, let's say, just one person or two to three people or 10 people, 50 people, maybe more. How do I figure out what's the ideal size of a startup for me? I think um, if you're if you ask the question in that way, I think you have to think about like what kind of risk tolerance can you like, do you like and can you afford? Right. And I think, you know, in some ways, like a lot of times. Uh, people sell the, sto- the story of start- startups as kind of these brave, you know, like ventures that go out into the, you know, into the cold waters and, you know, and kind of figure stuff out. But in reality, like entrepreneurship is generally only possible when the entrepreneur has some kind of, or, you know, either they have or they have built some kind of safety net that allows them to take this kind of risk without, you know, it basically helps them mitigate some of the risk that the startup provides. Um, Either that is by having a job beforehand that can, you know, where they've saved up a bunch of money or or it is by having uh, a job in the daytime and then working on the startup in the nights and weekends. And so so I think it's something to, to think about, like, you know, if you join a two, three person company that hasn't really found a product market fit that doesn't have funding. And, you know, the the reward there is that you'll get a large amount of equity. You get a lot of responsibility. But the cost is that. You, you'll be taking on an en- enormous amount of risk. And it, especially if you have other responsibilities to yourself, to your family, like mm. um, I think those are all the things that I would take into consideration. Right. Um, I think there is a little bit of it also, which is that if, if it's a company that's too large, then um, then I think like, you know, it, it's, it's a good, it's a good place to establish your career when you are young, just because it, uh, it gives you a good kind of um, validation point on your resume, but definitely your, uh, leadership and all those opportunities can be limited uh, the, the larger the company is. Like it just takes longer to climb the ladder exactly. um, at larger companies. Exactly. Yeah. So actually, that's a very good point you brought up that ultimately it's a function of the level of risk that you want to take. And I guess what you're saying is that the smaller the company and the less sort of established it is, the higher is is going to be the risk that you're taking on. But the upside is also higher. So if let's say I or let me put it this way, let's say you have some level of financial security, right? Like, uh, it's not like you're a millionaire or something, but you're not, you're not too bad either, I guess, right? What yeah. is a what is a sweet spot then? Like, could you share some, because let's say I'm someone who's not familiar with the space at all. Should I look for, let's say, Series A funding? Hey, Series A funding would mean that, you know, there is some level of vetting that's already happened, or maybe there are 50 employees or something else. Um. I think, I guess having some kind of runway is is something that I would look for. Like if you you know if if you do want to have a market salary, hmm. um, then th- then the company is going to need to have like some serious amount of funding, or they need to be you know like generating a lot of sales already. But but if you if you join a company that's still figuring out its product, then then I think having some kind of safety net, like whether it's a spouse 
who you know is earning money and and has health insurance for example like you know simple things like that become a real thing like you know for me personally I had started this Facebook games company um, right outside of you know right after leaving Yahoo and that was generating a reasonable amount of revenue uh, for me which really it, it really gave me a lot more freedom to to be experimentative with my with my normal daily life, like you know, I, I started this company. I worked on it full time for about four or five months, but then after that, I had a development team um, in Eastern Europe, and that's a whole story on its own. But but it was kind of managing itself for some time, and it gave me the it gave me the security in a sense to be able to jump into Bloomspot to be completely you know like at the ground right. floor right. of starting something. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So another question that a lot of MBAs kind of struggle with is this, or there's this notion that you hear about that startups are not that open to MBAs. So would you agree with that? Is there a tendency for startups to hire more uh, technical people, or at least you should have a technical background? I think, you know, for technical roles, of course, you know, startups will you know need technical people. I think there is a huge role for and and I and I, and I don't think it's only for MBAs, but it's really it's really the role for who is going to sell the product, right? Like I think that that is like like there are there's kind of the um, the people who are going to be visionaries and kind of create the product. There's going to be the people who are going to operate the company and like do all the things that are needed just for the company to grow and and be stable. And then there are going to be the people who are going to sell the product, right? Mm-hmm. And like. To sell the product and to operate the company are are definitely great great spots for people who are coming out with MBAs. Um, and then and then I, I actually think that you know at least at least that's the that's kind of the conventional wisdom. But I but I actually think that from what I saw in my in my classmates um, in business school and then you know the MBAs I've met afterward is that is that especially certain schools and certain programs they tend to attract like extremely ambitious, smart, like hardworking and innovative people. Who yes maybe they don't have the engineering background but as we've proven in you know in my current uh, company right now is that it doesn't take that much time or investment to get an engineering background but the part that's really hard to teach someone is that like hard work that ambition that like desire for you know that like hunger for growth and I think that that hunger is there in a lot of MBAs and so um, so I think while there may be some kind of discrimination against MBAs in the startup world like I think. Um, at least to me personally, like, you know, I, I actually see it um, sometimes. I mean, mostly I see it as a positive. I, I mean, if, if the role that I'm hiring for is a very specific role, then of course we have to test for like the person's competency in the skills that are needed for that role. But, you know, in, in like a general operator type of role, like I, I actually think MBAs do phenomenally well. Yeah, so actually, this is a very good point. So you touched on two things, and I want to dig a little bit deeper into each of them. One is how if you want to play a role in the operation of a company or selling a product, an MBA can be a very good fit. And then the other is this, how MBAs tend to be fairly driven and ambitious. So that's a core skill set that a startup needs. So on the first point about roles, could you share examples? So like operation and sales is a pretty broad category. Could you share some examples that are pretty good fit roles-wise for MBAs? Um, I guess it depends a little bit on the stage of the company that you talk about in a sense, because at like at a very early uh, at a very early stage, you you really only have, you know, a, a few different roles. Like, you know, one role is like the creators and then like the, the kind of sellers and the, the managers in a sense. And like, you know, in a very early stage, 
you would kind of do everything from business development to sales to product management, thinking about everything from how the HR works, like hiring. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's so many functions in a in a company that are not directly engineering, and I think any of those could be good fits. You know, depending on the person and their own and their own talents. Yeah. Yeah. So how how can an MBA sell a startup on the value that they bring in? Because like you're saying, yeah. like some, sometimes in the beginning, it can be fairly general. You know, maybe one person is doing a whole bunch of things. I'm doing some BD, I'm doing some sales. The role is not very well defined. So how can an MBA sell on the value that they bring to the startup? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that if you look at any of these roles from like marketing product, HR operations. I think all these roles are, you know, could be phenomenal fits depending on the person. And like, depending on what role they're targeting, like, I would highly recommend that I think that, you know, tech companies really value seeing evidence of of somebody being really excellent at a certain role, right. And sometimes that comes from having a previous role that's similar, or it, it also comes from things like, you know, just starting your own company around it, or, writing a, uh, a series, you know, or, or, you know, being like a prolific blogger about a certain topic or, mm-hmm. you know, just like doing the, the types of things that you need to do to show rather than tell, right? It's like, like show that you are a good marketer rather than just saying it on your resume. And like taking classes doesn't really show that. Like the way to show that is by, um, you know, finding either internships or, or doing projects even for free for people. But like, you know, put yourself in the position as much as possible where you have to show this skill. And I think that's that's a way to prove to prove to startups that that you're going to be great. Yeah, Um, that's a very good point. So it's almost like, you know, don't just go there and say I've taken these classes or I can do this. But I, I guess startups value doers and makers a lot. So the more you can show evidence of actually doing things in some form or shape the more they will value it. But, you know, this also brings up a very important point that if it's a startup, especially with, let's say, 10 people or so, then it's it's important for you to come in and be able to hit the ground running. Like, would you say that it's, I don't think, like, how well are these startups set up to actually help me out and train me maybe if I'm taking on some new kind of job or I don't have a lot of experience? I don't think there's much runway for that. Yeah, I think, you know, it's not only just startups. I think this is across the industry that, you know, companies, they talk a big game about like, oh, you know, how much we train our employees. But the reality is, is that, is that, you know, companies will provide like some kind of budget for you to train. But like, largely, if you really want to learn something new, if you really want to get better, like, it has to come from you yourself. Like, no company can force you to learn new things. And, and, and exactly like you said, like there's just not that much time or budget even hmm. for a startup to hire somebody who's unproven and then just hope that they will learn everything. Um, I think the way that you can, you know, let's say, but then somebody will ask, well, what if I don't have that much experience with something? Hmm. Um, well, the, the way that you can break that chicken and egg cycle, which is, it's kind of like, you know, some people say that you need experience to get a job, but like you need a job to get experience, <laughs> right? Yeah. And like, like the, the way to break that cycle sometimes is, is essentially two things. Like one is either you should, you know, be willing to accept like a very low amount of money in your first role, where, you know, where you have no experience. And that can be something that is an advantage to that person where you say, okay, well, I'm, you know, expecting, I'm accepting a way below market salary. You know, I know I, I don't have that much experience in this. And, you know, maybe you can convince an entrepreneur to do that. The second way is really to start a company yourself. And even if that, that company doesn't go anywhere, it's like a way that you can, 
create experience for yourself where you force yourself to be in a situation where you have to do the things that you're trying to show people that you can do. Yeah. Right. And like, you don't need anybody's permission to start a company, right? Like you can, you, you can do it. Like you can come up <laughs> with a, a project yourself and yeah. I mean, even if your end goal is not to, I mean, maybe that company will be wildly successful and that'll be awesome. But even if it isn't, you'll, you'll come out with a ton of great experience that will make people like will raise eyebrows. When right. they look at your resume. Right. No, that that's a great idea. And you're right. Like you don't need permission from someone to start your own thing or do your own project on the side. Let's say I'm looking to do something for a startup, either for free or at, at a very, very low cost. And But I'm outside the startup ecosystem. What's a good way to get to know people in that ecosystem? Um, I guess there are, I mean... There are some really simple ways, which is attending kind of these events and all that. But I think, you know, that's kind of conventional advice. Like I personally don't love these kind of large networking events and, and stuff like that. Like the two tips that I would give here are um, the first tip is have have less but longer conversations. So like, you know, take specific people out to coffee rather than going to a big meetup and like meeting everyone for five minutes each, um, like, you know, have like a long conversation with someone and then think about how you can help them out, um, you know, to kind of keep your relationship going. So I think that's my first kind of way to do this. And, and, and the second way is bring the market to you by being, by kind of offering something to the market through your, either your writing or your blogging or, you know, like starting a, a podcast or things like that, like, you know, do something for the market. And then, you know, the networking will kind of come to you, you know, rather than you having to go around chasing people. And so something that you can do is, is set a routine where you say, okay, every week I'm going to spend uh, like two hours trying to create or, you know, trying to write an article or, or do something helpful for the industry and kind of post it online. And, if, you know, once you start doing that a lot, like people will seek you out. Um, so I think that's the second way I would say uh, that you should do it. Yeah. I, I don't think just going to like random events really yields that much. It's it's largely just, I mean, it's fun, but it, you know, it, it can be a waste of time um, because there's usually somebody who's speaking and that's the person who's getting most of the benefit <laughs> yeah, of that no, event. Absolutely. Yeah, I know um, they are getting eyeballs. Do you recommend, let's say I want to just learn a little bit more about what startups exist today. What are some interesting companies that are doing something? Are there any resources that you might want to recommend? I mean, I think, you know, there are tons and tons of resources. Like it's definitely not a, it's definitely not something that is a new thing that, you know, like learning about startups, writing about startups, um, more than anything, I was just get in the game, right? Like, like how long can you sit in the stands? If you are, you know, if you want to actually see how good you are at the game, like you have to just play. All right. But I think what what I would also say is that maybe people can look at websites like AngelList and Crunchbase because that might give you a little bit of a lay of the land. Oh yeah, definitely. Like yeah. things like TechCrunch, Hacker News, like you know, there are there are definitely a lot of sites where, you know, product hunt where you get like um really good picture of what's going on and then next time you talk to someone like you don't you're not like completely out of touch. What's funny is like when you are working on a startup though, it's very easy to get out of touch. Like I, I remember in the, I mean, even now I feel that way a little bit, but in, in the first few years of full stack, like we were so heads down that I had really lost in touch with like what new startups were coming up. And I like, you know, when I would talk to someone 
because I had like stopped reading all these blogs. Um, you know, in a way, it's like a good thing that you <laughs> you're so yeah you're, you're your with something that you're not like paying attention. But but yeah, until you get really busy with something. I guess you you should you should stay in the loop. Yeah, yeah. So I have a couple of questions around. I mean, along these lines, but again, around applying. And actually, I got some of these questions from some of these uh, business school career centers. And what they're asking is that if I'm thinking about applying to a startup, I, I find a startup. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. I'm an MBA and I want to apply. Should I? The question I have is: Should I first? What's a good way to apply? Like, should I apply on the website or should I try and get a referral? I think definitely a referral, right? Like, I think that's, um, like, between those two, I think referral is the best. I think it's not always easy to get a referral, especially a good referral into a company. And so, you know, sometimes you just have to apply online. Um, if you really want to go above and beyond, like, like you have to do something for the company. An example I'll give you is, um, like, you know, somebody who had applied here for a marketing role a while back, like they had set up a, I mean, they had like set up this site where they took all of our full stack marketing materials and like, you know, really took a lot of time and, and gave us a lot of comments about like what they would suggest for all different, different, you know, like, you know, just different things that we were doing, different yeah. ads that we were running. Um, and like without even meeting this person, like we could immediately see how much value they right. were adding. Right. right. And like, and like, I think if you can do something like that, then I think it's, it's just extraordinary. Um, another random example is that we had somebody who we were interviewing for a, uh, I don't know if, what kind of role it was actually, I forget, but, but we, we actually rejected him. And then afterward he, I mean, this is totally random, but like he, he's like, you know, I would really love to talk to you about this more. I've sent like two pizzas to your office. <laughs> um, and like, you know, if I could come over in the evening and just talk to you a bit more about what I can offer, I would really appreciate it. And it was like so random that like he, like, he literally sent pizzas to our office. Yeah. Um, and and I think I mean, and I mean, we spoke to him and like it, it ended up being that, you know, he he um, like we offered him a path to do one of our courses at a at a big discount, um, you know, and like if he, it, you know, basically like, you know, basically we kind of gave him a path into into getting here just like we could just see that that kind of that hunger and um, right. and, and uh, in, in innovation right. um, in that. So I think this is a very, very good point because it's true. I mean, I think you hear this a lot that startups really need that you need to show a startup how you can help and what value you can add as opposed to just submit your resume. Actually, like, do you think a resume is important? Like, do you look at the resume? Oh yeah, I think we definitely look at a resume. I mean, only because that's the fastest way to get a summary of, right? Like their background. I mean, I don't think, I, I don't have any, I'm not like so firm about, oh my God, it's like, it's only, it, it's a one and a half page resume. And so we're like definitely going to reject this person. Like, I mean, I think, you know, there are definitely some, there's some resume etiquette that you should follow, but like mostly I think you need to have at least a resume. So people know, uh, like, you know, people have an easy way to at least see what you've done in the past. Mm. But at the end of the day, like that's not, you know, a resume is going to get you in the door maybe, but it's never going to get you hired. Right. Like, like if you actually want to get hired, then you have to show how you're going to be helpful and like how you are actually better than you know, like, you know, all the other people that like, I think the, the, the shortest way to put it is that you really have to show that you get it. Like you get the, the, the inner challenges of this role and, and like how to solve them. Right. And that you're going to be someone who, 
we can rely upon to take over this role rather than somebody who like, you know, if you hire someone who only does 80% of a role, yeah. That's as, you know, yeah. that that's almost as good as just doing the role yourself because what that means is like you're going to have to keep working with them. And so it's not really going to solve your problem as a manager of the company, right? right? right like right. you're going to have to keep working with them. And so so I think at the end of the day that's what we really look for, like somebody who really gets it. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. I think what you're saying illustrates something really I think the key difference between recruiting for a large company versus a startup and this is not just for MBAs it's for anyone but I think for a large company the tendency is that the company is sort of actively pursuing you and so you submit your resume and then they really like you and then there's a structured interview process and then you go in and then you're you know slowly ramping up it's quite the opposite for a startup where you have to really proactively demonstrate you're almost doing the job before you can get in, or at least to some extent, you're you're showing ample proof of that. Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, l- larger companies, and I think maybe MBA specifically, or anyone coming out of college be, kind of gets, they don't get the, the, the true picture of how the job market works. Like, like, you know, companies come on campus in the fall, hoping to hire you like eight, nine, 10 months later. And that's just not the reality of how startup hiring works, right? Like, like usually when you need someone, you need them to start within the next month or two, <laughs> yeah. you know, or maximum three. And so like, and, and I mean, we, we don't have the resources to send like HR teams to like all these companies and their job fairs and take everyone out to dinner and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. And so like, if you really get into that whole thing, then you, it, it's also easy to get caught up in it. Like I, you know, I remember my uh, second year, you know, after doing some of this in the first year, like I, I like consciously stayed away from all the consulting and investment banking dinners because you, it's like really easy to get caught up in it because they know exactly. I mean, it's like, you know, they're the only ones on campus and, you know, there's no startup competition at that point. And if they, if they kind of get you then, then, then you're, you're in. Um, (laughs) then then you're in and then it's hard to escape. (laughs) It's hard to get out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's hard to get out. Yeah, I, I think another important thing that you're bringing out is that as a candidate, I should be open to investing a lot of time in one company, right? I, I think one challenge that people could run into is that if for every startup that I'm interested in, or sort of interested in, if I have to spend so much time figuring out that this is what the startup does, and then, uh, you know, try and suggest a pitch or try and suggest the kind of things that they could do. I mean, that's obviously a huge amount of investment on my on my part, which I which I, I can understand why a startup wants because they want someone who's heavily invested. So, is there a way for for a, for a candidate to assess from the outside? Actually, I, I guess my question is, what's a good way? What are some good things to look for and important things to look for to see if a startup is a good fit for you or not? I guess I. I... I kind of agree with you, but I also disagree with you a little bit in that I don't think you have to invest that much time into each company. Like, I think you can really scale your efforts if you're smart about it. <clears throat> like, for example, you know, if you have to invest, let's say, like three to four hours in doing something for one company, like, would you call that a lot of work? Like, I would say it's not yeah. that much work, right? Yeah. Like, if you're, if you're really, if you really want to work there, like, that's, that, that's a reasonable investment that you can make. And, and, you know, you can probably do that much investment in like even, you know, 15 to 30 startups, right, during your job search. And I think that that's like a pretty good pool to target. target yeah. um, and and, I, and I, I say that our number because, you know, what I'm thinking of is that you spend a reasonable amount of time, like understanding their problems and, you know, either taking something that you've done for another startup or like, you know, doing something for that specific 
startup, like, you know, fashioning the work that you have, putting together a package to explain to that company, like why, why you would be good. Like, I think you can average something out yeah. around that. Also, you'd be surprised at how, how people just like, you know, as someone who's hiring people, like how, how nice it is to see someone who's just really, really excited about your yeah. company. Yeah. Right. Like you, like just your passion and enthusiasm for that person's company, um, is really hard to, it's really hard to turn down, to be very honest. Like, you know, if somebody is like so uh, excited about working for you, is really excited about the mission, like, you know, it's just really hard to turn down. And I think that, that it, it may not take as much time as you think to really, to really show yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Someone. So, so I absolutely agree with you that, so let, let me rephrase my question. It's more around because startups can be, can vary so much, right? Especially if you're talking about small companies with, five, 10 odd people, then you may not always get have a lot of signals to look at. So are there right. certain key things that you think a candidate should look for to assess that? Yes, yeah. I, you know, this is a good company to join. I think that one of the secrets that I that I observed, so Fullstack went through Y Combinator. And, and like, there are so many companies from our batch. Well, you know, first off, the reality of startups is that there's a low success rate, right? Of course. Um, and so even at a place like Y Combinator, which, you know, which had some really smart and great people, like, you know, more than half of the companies that were in my batch are already shut down. Uh, it's been about five years. And even, even within the first two or three years, um, about half the companies were shut down. Um, however, if you had asked the, um, if you had asked people in my batch, um, like we could have told you, like I could have told you, the 10 companies in my batch that I was really excited about that, you know, that if I had a lot of money at that point, I would have wanted to invest in them. Today, I feel dumb for not, <laughs> for not doing that because there's some companies from my batch who are just like unbelievable, like, um, Instacart and, uh, uh -oh. Coinbase and like, you know, there's people who are just really killing it. Um, yeah. but, but I think, you know, so, so the tip that I was going to, uh, was going to tell you is that when a startup incubator or like, you know, one of the better incubators, like, um, tech stars or or Y Combinator is graduating a batch. If you can speak to some of the people who are in that batch somehow, they can actually give you a pretty good and like insider view that you would not believe it, but it's not really it's not really available anywhere else. Like all you have to do is look at the companies who who are in that batch, which is not that hard to find out. And just go speak to some of the people there. Like, you know, you'll realize that most of the people, they're just normal people right like there's like nothing like there's no not no crazy halo about them and like you know most of these are just founders who are like struggling to make their companies work and you know if somebody's really interested in talking to them like you know it's probably not that hard to go speak to them and like you know using using this kind of inside advice you could probably target you know the 15 startups that are coming out of let's say Y Combinator in the winter, who you really want to work for, right? right. Um, because you, you know, it really resonates with your own personal choices. And also, like you, you know, you've heard that they're doing really well, and you can see that they're doing well. Um, and I think, you know, that's a way to filter through the hundreds and hundreds of startups out there um, that I don't see enough MBAs really doing like, yeah, that's, a, this yeah. is a really good tip. And I mean, I guess the challenge would be that just trying to find someone that you can talk to. But I totally agree that if you can get an inside of you from someone inside an incubator, they can probably tell you which startups are the most promising. But, but to be honest, you don't even need to get a true insider view in the sense that you don't even have to like meet someone. Like if you just look at the list of 
companies mm-hmm. and you just start doing a little bit of research in them, like it'll be clear. I mean, it won't be that hard to find out which companies are actually doing very well. Like, you know, you'll see that there are, you know, especially at Y Combinator, like a lot of companies today are already, like they're already released and they already have users and like you can already tell, right, um, that they are doing well. So, you know, I'm just saying that if you just have to do a little bit of research uh, yourself Absolutely. Um, yeah. and you can get a pretty good wealth of information. Like once these companies are out and they're like really well funded and blah, 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 like then it becomes like, you know, the usual startup game. Like you just have to go there and like, beg, you know, like you just have to go yeah. there and hope that you get a job. But like at this early stage when they're still small and they're like, um, nobody else really knows them that much. It's probably not that hard to just, you know, yeah. Oh, that's a very good tip. So you're almost saying that not just which startup to pick, but also the timing. So if they're going through the YC batch at that time or some other incubator, that's probably the best time to get into them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because at that time, they need a lot of help. And they have no ego yet, right? I mean, maybe they have a little bit of ego, but like, they're, um, (laughs) they are, they're definitely, I remember, like, you know, for us specifically, like we had someone, I won't, um, I won't name her name, because I'm not sure Mm -hmm. she would want to, but like, but like, you know, she was uh, someone from the UK, actually. And, you know, she was, uh, she kind of uh, got to know us somehow through a friend. She's just like, I don't care. Like, I just want to you know, work with you during the Y Combinator experience. Like, I just want to, you know, I just want to experience a startup in that stage. Like, I'm going to come, I'm going to fly over there. I'll work for you completely free. And I just want to experience like how it feels. And I'll do, I'll do, you know, anything to be helpful. Like, here are all my qualifications. And like, and like, you know, it was hard for us at that time to say no. Like, she was so excited about what we were doing. (laughs) And, you know, and she had good, good qualifications. And, and, And so, so we invited her and, and it was actually really helpful and she got a lot out of it. And today she's, you know, she's the CEO of her own company. Yeah, um, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, if she's yeah. willing to fly all the way from the UK and work for free, I mean, what more can you ask for? Uh, would you suggest certain incubators to use as a filter? So why Combinator is definitely one. Any others? Um, let's see. You know, I, I honestly, I, I shouldn't say it because I haven't really kept in touch with that space too much. But at least from my last understanding of it, Techstars was definitely great. In fact, some of uh, some of our alumni from Fullstack have have started a company that that has gone on to be funded by Techstars recently. Okay. Um, but but yeah, I mean, those are the two I can think of. But but there's definitely a bunch, and I think there are also like rankings now. Actually, there are also now incubators that are very kind of vertical specific, and so I think those can also be interesting. Like you know, for example, if you're starting a company. In healthcare, it is actually helpful to be in like a healthcare a specific incubator, uh, mm-hmm. you know, only because there's a lot of relationships and stuff that you need to really help you. And and the the people who run these like kind of vertical incub- incubators actually have those relationships. Where somebody like you know by Combinator, like the partners there are insanely good at understanding like small growth startups like they, they just know like more than anyone I think uh, right. about that that stage of the startup but but it's more like general knowledge right like they're not going to know the CIO of the NYU health system and be able to make an introduction I mean maybe they will yeah, by yeah, chance yeah, but. yeah. Oh, absolutely okay so I have a couple of questions that, again as I said I've received from some career centers so one is that you mentioned that you know, ultimately you have to sort of show that you can really add value to the startup and your resume can be an entry point perhaps. How important is your LinkedIn profile? Um, I think your LinkedIn profile is extremely important these days because at least, you know, 
um, even more than your resume, I think people check out your LinkedIn profile because it has some more information, right? Like, uh, for example, um, it has information like recommendations that people have given you. You know, oftentimes people write more about the roles and what they actually did in the role in the LinkedIn profile, which you don't have space to do oftentimes in as much detail on a resume. Right. Um, but the most important thing that, that that I look for are what kind of common connections we have. Just so it's a way for for me to know that, you know, is there someone else I can speak to who can vouch for this person, who can tell me more about this person's work experience and their working style, et cetera. So I think, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, we definitely look at LinkedIn immediately when somebody applies. Got it. Um, so I, I think you, you should have, you should have a good LinkedIn profile. You should also have a good picture. Like I, I know that, I mean, I know in an ideal world, people would not look at the picture <laughs> to help them decide, you know, how much they trust someone. But like at the stage where you haven't met someone and all you have of them is like that LinkedIn picture, you know, I think you should make, make that picture something that, you know, will look like the you know look like somebody who could be good at the role that you're you're hiring for and like i know this <laughs> is actually it should be pretty obvious right like i don't even think this should be that but anyway but I, I see i see you know i definitely see a lot of profiles where people don't seem to understand that like um so can you share some i'm curious about that like what what kind of profile pick like what's an example of a bad profile pick as an example i guess there are some things you could be doing in a profile pick which could really destroy your reputation right and then there are some picks that probably don't make any impact at all. Like, like let's say you're just wearing some casual clothing and whatever. Like, I think that may not make a difference at all. Yeah. But there are some picks that can really make you look professional and like really make you look like someone who can be relied upon. Like, um, you know, it's just a, a well taken picture. Like you, you know, like you are in I your see. kind of business mode, not in your party mode. Um, okay. I so see. I think, you I, know, see what you're saying. I think it's like, it can help you. I, I guess most people don't do anything to, you know, I don't see anyone like doing anything illegal on their LinkedIn profile pics that would be like really hurtful. I guess we, you know, maybe once in a while we see something like that, but like um, mostly it's like a missed opportunity, right? Like if, if your if your if your picture is good, like it can actually in, uh, induce like um, confidence. confidence. Right. Yeah. Right. I see what you're saying. So basically, like for example, you shouldn't have a drunk profile pic, maybe, right? Like that's probably yeah, that's probably on the other end. I guess yeah. you know probably. I hope none of your listeners. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. that's what, uh, that's what, uh, like, I don't think anyone uh, really would be going that far, but, but yeah, I think it's definitely, maybe that's how I should put it. It's like, it's a missed opportunity. Um, you can really use that as a way to at least get in the door. Yeah. And I've seen people get really creative also with their profile pics, like look professional, but also add a hint of creativity. But so that, that that's, a, that's a good call out because I don't think people think too much about their profile pic on the LinkedIn profile. Um, another question I have for you is what kind of compensation range can an MBA expect at a startup? And I understand that it's probably highly, highly variable, but could you suggest a way to think about it, maybe some sort of ranges to expect? Sure. You know, like you said, it, it varies a lot based on the role and it also varies based on how much um, equity you're expecting to get, right? Like if you are joining a company that is, uh, 30 people versus five people. That's a very, very different equity situation. What's a, can you sh- share some examples? Like, how would it vary depending on a five or a 30 people company? Like if you were joining a company, you know, that's five people, like you can actually expect to get maybe one or two or you know, depending on what role you're joining at, like, like multiple whole percentage points mm-hmm. of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which is you know a lot of equity for right. for joining a company as an employee. Um, if you're joining as like the thirtieth employee, like unless you are you know joining as like the CEO or something, like you're not you're definitely not going to get a whole percentage point. Right. Like maybe you know you would get um, somewhere between point one to point five or point something like that. Like you know exactly. like it, it it's definitely a um, it like exponentially decreases the amount of equity you get, like the later you are in the company. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what that means is that like, you know, the later you are, um, like a, a company that has 30 employees, you would hope that they have a product, right. And like, then they have to pay you like market salary because like equity is not a huge component of your comp. And so all I'm saying is that, you know, early on, if a company has not raised money, they're trying to save money. I think this is also where you can show that you really care about the company by like wanting more equity than cash comp. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes uh, I see that I see that, especially like I guess I shouldn't pigeonhole like younger <laughs> younger <laughs> folks, but like you know, people who just don't know that much about equity, like they 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 value like you know they don't place any value on equity, or they don't even really understand it enough. Like they're always thinking about um, they're always thinking about uh, negotiating the cash comp. But all I would say is that, like, you know, especially if you are an early stage in your own career and you're trying to join a startup, like a way that you can show that company that you really, you know, really believe in the company is by, like, you know, telling them that you want more equity comp. Um, And and yeah, so, I mean, I guess as far as ranges, like, it's really hard for me to tell. But I guess, yeah, I don't know. Like, it it really depends on the on the role. Um, Maybe maybe let's take an example. Let's take an example. I mean, maybe let's compare between a product management and a business development role. Um, I guess somebody coming out of an MBA, I mean, probably somewhere in the, somewhere like maybe just south of the 100K mark, something like 90 to 100K, something like that. You know, again, this really depends a lot on equity. It also depends on what kind of experience you have beforehand. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if if you were also doing this before your MBA, then you could definitely get more because you would be, you know, so now like you're already doing this plus you have an MBA and you know maybe you have some experience already but like if you're fresh at something I could expect anywhere you know something like that it, it also depends a little bit on where your MBA is from yeah but I mean I, I would say somewhere like that you know if you are really getting very little equity then you know maybe you can expect something in the low uh, hundreds or something okay. and this would be for like five people startup no, I, I, um, I was meaning, um, I guess, okay, so if you're going to be making like even close to a market salary, then the company is going to need to have either funding or, you know, be making money. Um, and so I'm guessing that in that kind of company, yeah, you can expect, uh, you know, somewhere around what I said. But otherwise, I would say, I mean, it's been like, you know, at my own companies, like I've, you know, I've made every, everything from like, zero or, or 20,000 to yeah. like, you know, just have like a profit share. Right. And so, right. yeah. Yes. I mean, if, if, if there's no funding and it's just a couple of people trying to put something out, then you probably are not getting anything. You just have, as you said, either just equity or profit share or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I'll give you a, a, a funny anecdote related to that. Like when I was accepting my admittance to, to Wharton, there was something on my on my resume, which was a startup that um, that I was working on, uh, along with um, this gaming company, where we were just three people, hmm. and um, and you know we had also built like a pretty nice product, and you know essentially the whole market crashed, and so um, you know I won't go into details, but like 
but like the you know, you know how they do a background check when they are trying to accept your thing and like so they, they wanted to see like some kind of w2 or something that this company provided right <laughs> yeah. and i was like there was no salary yeah. like we didn't have any money like there was no way for us to pay anyone so there was nothing and so like like the whole mba admittance process had like no way to like they had no way to, to yeah, see that somebody could be yeah. working somewhere on just equity um, right. basis like it was it took actually a reasonable amount of time to convince them that it was a real job yeah it's a legit thing and it's, i'm not faking yeah. it yeah <laughs> yeah and so and another question I have for you is that let's say I intern with a startup. So let's say, you know, I'm going through my MBA program uh, during the summer. I intern with a startup right now. I'm guessing since it's a startup, they would want to they don't have the leeway to say, OK, you know, now I now you have a full time offer. Come back next year. I, I don't know if that happens. So is there a way as a candidate? Yes, you got the experience during the internship. But is, is there a way to stay connected with the company during your second year and then come back? Um, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I would imagine that, you know, what I've, you know, I've personally not done this, but what I can imagine is that you could work for the company part time. Hmm. Um, like, you know, from what I remember in the second year, like people are mostly, um, focused on their career and like thinking about how they're going to do, you know, how they're going to optimize their kind of next step. Or, you know, I shouldn't say mostly, but like people are really focused on, you know, what I'm going to do after business school. Right. And so I think you can probably, like I think if you you know like like the best way would be to say that I'll work you know 20 25 hours a week and just continue helping you as much as possible like I think that would be the best thing and then and then you know best case that turns into a full-time job after you graduate or worst case you you get another job but like now you have this amazing kind of resume item where you've spent like you know much more than an internship working with someone Right, like much more than three months. That makes sense. Like I would say that's probably the best way. I mean, other than that, there's not really any other way because once somebody leaves a company, like if you're not involved in anything that the company is doing, like it's pretty easy for people to just check out and move on, right? Like it's very hard to, I mean, I guess you can just keep in touch with people via email and stuff, but I don't think that's what you mean necessarily. Yeah, no, no, I don't think that's going to count for a lot. But all right, thank you so much, Namit. This was really, really helpful is there any other advice you'd like to share with someone who has this MBA kind of background is out of the startup ecosystem, but wants to get in and is exploring getting in? Yeah. I mean, I think the the most basic thing I would say is that don't have this imposter syndrome where, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of MBAs, in fact, you know, we see a lot of students who come to full stack who are trying to get into tech and like, they're actually really smart, ambitious, great people. And that's why they get in. Like we only accept, like about 10% of people who apply. And yet they have this like really strong imposter syndrome where they just don't think that they belong. And I think that it ends up being like a very negative cycle where like they don't take as many risks or like, you know, they don't uh, want to actually fully give themselves to it because internally they don't believe they can do it. And I think, um, so yeah, so I mean, that's the main thing I would say is that, you know, absolutely, there have been some incredible companies that have been like founded by non-technical people. In fact, one of Y Combinator's biggest success, uh, Airbnb, was founded by two people who were, or three, you know, two people who were not engineers. Right. Um, and so, so yeah. So I mean, I think yeah, just you know, believe that you can do it, um, and just start playing the game. Like, don't don't sit in the stands. I like it. Um, by the way, quick question: Is Full Stack hiring? 
Yeah, uh, we are definitely hiring. Um, you can you can go to our careers page at fullstackacademy.com slash uh, hiring. I mean, sorry, slash careers. <laughs> I should know <laughs> yeah. that. Um, but yeah, so fullstackacademy.com slash careers. Uh, that's where we have our uh, jobs listed. Awesome. And then, and I think the other the other tip is that not every job opening is actually listed on people's careers page. Um, just because, you know, like there's people who are updating this careers page. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm also, if people just want to reach out to me, I'm more than happy to, um, you know, just help out or something like my email is Nimit, N-I-M-I-T at fullstackacademy.com. So always, uh, you know, feel free to reach out to me as well. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll include these links in the show notes also. Uh, but thank you so much, Nimit. This was wonderful. Thanks a lot. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. All right, I hope you enjoyed the discussion. Just before you leave, do remember to sign up for our newsletter on our website, learneducatediscover.com, where we share updates on new episodes, a lot of career-oriented resources, and a lot of other inspiring stories and videos and podcasts that we find online. So do check it out at learneducatediscover.com. You'll also find the library of all the other podcasts that we've done in the past on the website. Of course, if you have any questions at all, or if you just want to say hello, you can always email us just drop us a mail at hello at learneducatediscover.com or tweet at us at LED underscore curator. That's LED underscore C-U-R-A-T-O-R. Of course, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash learneducatediscover or you can also subscribe to the podcast on either iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and for your time. And until the next one, Bye-bye.